we thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to her, you're working through her, Lord, and we get to enjoy the word you put on her heart this morning. We just want to pray for her that she would have confidence in you as she brings this word, and we just thank you for what you're going to bring and deposit in our hearts as we listen. So we commit to you now in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Um, I convinced myself last night that because it's August and a lot of people are away, it wouldn't feel very busy and it would be empty, but it's busier than I thought, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so this morning, I'd like to share with you something that God has been um, kind of uh, taking me through over the last year or so. Um, many of you will know that Drew and I, um, Drew's my husband, we bought a house um, in 2016 that needed a lot of work doing to it. Um, and um, through the experience of renovating this house, God has really challenged me and shown me something in my life that I needed to change. Um, I am a person who loves to be productive. Um, productivity is the name of the game for me. I get a lot of satisfaction from getting jobs done um, and enjoying the final result, but also the process of getting things done. I love to-do lists. Um, I, I have several going usually at the same time, um, and I'm the kind of person where if I do a job um, that will fit on a to-do list, I'll go back to the to-do list, write it on, and then tick it off, just for the satisfaction of having something ticked off. Um, I hope there's some people who can kind of identify with that. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure there's people who are like, you're crazy. What are you, like, what are you talking about? Um, it must be genetic, because my mum is very similar. Um, I think her to-do list is all in her head, but um, she does get an awful lot done during a day. Um, and, um, yeah, I just think it's a family thing, because those of you who know my brother as well will know the same. At the same time that we um, bought this house, I changed jobs, and the contract was only four days a week, so um, I had a, a day at home, basically, and at first I really struggled with this. I felt guilty that I wasn't um, earning as much as I could while I could um, to contribute towards the family. Um, and so I wanted the days off to be productive. I wanted them to be worthwhile. I wanted this extra day that, that was a gift, essentially, to, to, be, to be worth it. Um, and I, I, yeah, I felt quite guilty. And that, that feeling of guilt didn't really last. <laughs> Working a four-day week is the way forward, if um, any of you can manage it. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So, um, and it was through this process of having a lot of work to do and having the time to do it that God started to reveal to me what my issue was. Uh, so Tuesday is my day off, and during the week I'd accumulate a to-do list of things that I needed to get done on that day. Um, I still do that um, to a certain extent, but back then it was like sand the banisters, um, uh, I don't know, paint, the, paint something, um, go to B&Q, get this, um, phone so-and-so and book, an, book a quote. Um, that, that was my kind of to-do list. Um, and at the end of a Tuesday, the result was... In, in terms of my heart, was it always the same? If I got through everything I wanted to get through, I was absolutely shattered, because I'd been working at 100%, and I just hadn't stopped. And Drew came home, and I was super grumpy and annoyed at everything. If I didn't get through my list, which is what happened most of the time, because I was overambitious, I was still grumpy, because I was annoyed that I hadn't got through my list, and I hadn't got things done that I'd intended to get done. Um, so all in all, Tuesdays were not a fun day for me or for Drew. But already, without me realizing it, um, God was already intervening and had been for a long time. I'm sure we've all had experiences where we just laugh and just say, God, you're just so funny. How, how did I ever think of this? How, how did you plan this for me? It's just hilarious. 
If I can be summed up by the word go, Drew can be summed up by the word slow. <laughs> I've never in my life known anyone who can do nothing so well. Um, he can literally, he can spend hours in the house and just, and just do nothing. And I come home and I'm like, oh, have you had a nice afternoon? What did you do? poked around, like, it just completely defies belief. But he's not lazy, don't get me wrong, he's not lazy. He works hard um, and he honours God with his time. And actually, through um, being married, God is teaching me how to slow down. Do will often say, just come, just sit, come, come, sit down, Shh, just, just sit down, just stop. To, and, and, that, and that helps, that makes me sit down and do nothing. It's been very frustrating, as you can imagine. Um, it's been really hard work for Drew <laughs> um, to live with me, and it's been frustrating for me, but gradually I think he's bringing us to a point where, God is bringing us to a point where um, we're kind of meeting halfway in the middle and we're, we're learning from each other, um, which is a great thing. So as I reflected on, on why I was thinking and acting in this way, um, I, and I was doing that because I knew it wasn't right, something wasn't comfortable, something wasn't healthy inside me to be feeling that way at the end of the day, um, God led me to the account of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Um, so, John, would you mind bringing up Luke 10, verse 38 onwards? Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Could you put on my first slide, please? I didn't bring the clicker. Do you want to just do it? You do it. <laughs> so through this um, passage, God showed me that I was distracted. I had become focused on the job that was in front of me. And because, obviously, it was our house, we were in it a lot of the time. And I couldn't switch off from it. I was allowing it to take all of my time and energy and to distract me from the bigger picture. God had provided us with this house in, in miraculous circumstances. It was, it was more than we asked for. It was more than we needed. Um, and therefore, there must be a bigger purpose in it than just renovating it. If you, if you saw the way that I was prioritizing my work over... God's bigger picture, um, it would be very clear that I, I was prioritizing the work. I was prioritizing the jobs that needed to be done. Um, I was looking at the details and not at the bigger picture. And it's easy to do this in life. God calls us to something and we get so bogged down in the details because we want to do it well that we forget what he's got for us. And the trouble with the details is that it leads us to think that we're in control of that situation, whereas God is the one who has brought us into it in the first place and we're not in control. Martha was focused on the details that day. Jesus had come to her house. <laughs> um, it's a huge thing. Um, but she was worried about the food, and that was a good thing. She wanted to feed him. She wanted to be hospitable. But she was too focused on, on, 
on those things and not focused on simply the fact that Jesus was there and she should spend time with him. Her response reveals her heart and God showed me that that's what I was doing. Her response was, Lord, don't you care? Next slide. Don't you care what I'm doing? Can't you see the hard work that I'm putting in? Can't you see that I'm going to a lot of trouble here? Do you like it? Am I doing a good job? Is it, is it worth it? Do you appreciate it? Martha felt hurt that her sister was getting Jesus' attention when she wasn't doing anything. Martha was doing something and wasn't spending time with Jesus. In Colossians, it says, um, I'll just read this one out, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, I have at times justified my work with this, and it's a good verse, but I've used it to give myself an excuse for going at 100 miles an hour. Um, Surely, surely this, if I'm, if I'm going to a church event four nights a week, which I, I did at some point in my 20s, I don't even know what I was doing anymore, um, but I was, um, if I'm doing that and I'm doing it for the Lord, then surely it's okay. Surely because I'm serving him, it's good and it's worthwhile and he's enjoying it. But the question isn't how you're, isn't how you're doing what you're doing or what you're doing, it's Why? And that's what God really revealed to me. Why was I so focused and working so hard? Was it to glorify him, to make his name famous? Or was it for the recognition and credit to come to me? In saying, Lord, don't you care, Martha and I were saying, don't you appreciate it? She was looking for worth. She was looking for um, God to say, I love you because you're serving me. I love you because you're working hard for me. I wanted to justify my, my day off. I wanted it to be worthwhile, and I wanted, essentially, God to appreciate what I was doing with it. But the reality is, is that God doesn't need anything from us. He is, he is one with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He made us for his pleasure, but he didn't make us because he needs us. And he has done everything for me on the cross. By even though I didn't realize it at the time, by living my life as if I needed to do something for God, I was putting something, I was putting a condition on my relationship with him. And I was saying, I, I need to do this in order for, in order to get something back from God. And essentially that's an idol. And the first of the Ten Commandments is very clear that we should not have an idol between us and God. So that's where Martha and I are at. Let's look at Jesus' response because that's, that's the best bit and that's what what changes us from the inside out. So Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, in the Amplified Version, next slide, please. Instead of, uh, you are worried and upset about many things. It says you are overly occupied and too busy. And when I read that, I felt that very personally that God was saying that to me. Overly occupied. Hannah, you are overly occupied and too busy. One of the other things that struck me was that Jesus didn't tell her to stop. He didn't say, 
put the dishes down, stop making us food, and come and sit at my feet. Um, not, not directly, anyway. And we all know that there has to, work has to be done in this life. We, we need to pay bills, we need to put food on the table, um, the house needs to stay reasonably clean, um, and there's just things that just have to be done because we're here on earth and not in heaven. <laughs> Although apparently we'll have work in heaven, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, I didn't want to leave my house with bare walls and no ceilings and holes in the floorboards for an indefinite period of time, and it was quite a relief to me to realise that that wasn't what God was asking me to do. Um, but what, what God was asking me is, what is your priority? What comes first? Does the house come first, or does God come first? And if I were to put him first, then everything else would fall into line. Uh, next slide, please. So, I'll read it again, because it's just so good. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. God showed me that I needed to get my priorities right. And there's a consequence that comes when we, when we do that. Jesus says to Martha that what Mary has will not be taken away from her. In Matthew, um, could you put up Matthew 6.19, please, John? Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Next verse. Sorry, I'm, I should have offered these to you before. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It was a slightly sad moment when I realised that all the, the house and the work we were putting into it would one day just be gone. <laughs> um, but it did help me get my priorities right and realise that that is not, that is not it. Um, all of this will go, um, and it's the, the unseen which will be left, not the seen. And that made me ask myself, do I have, this will be taken away from me, do I have that thing that Jesus is talking about that will never be taken away from me? So after pondering this and, and realising what Jesus was saying, that I needed to get my priority, I was distracted, um, that I was too busy, overly occupied, and I needed to get my priorities right, um, I then had to, to kind of go through a process of, of changing how I went about things and, and, and letting God change my heart. Through this, he reminded me that he has done it all, I don't need to do anything. Even before I knew I needed saving, he came to save me. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't even know I needed saving, and he's already done the work that needed to be done, which is just incredible. Um, and I think it's going to be a continual battle for me in my flesh to not do things um, I'm going to do things, obviously, but not do them for the wrong reasons, not do them for, for God, because he doesn't need it. He doesn't, he doesn't need me. When I start my day by reminding myself of the cross um, and of what Jesus has done for me there, and when I get my priorities right, I can get through a Tuesday 
and still be smiling at the end. And Drew comes home to me and I, hello, how's your day, rather than, which is what happened before. Um, and it's all together a lot more calm and peaceful. I'm less driven, I'm less stressed, um, and I know where my assurance is. Uh, I know what I need to do, and that is to put God first and not put myself first. Could you put the last slide up, please? It's a daily battle, um, and I need God's grace for it, but I am intending to choose every day to, to take that, that better part that Mary took um, so that I can keep hold of what I have rather than keep hold of something which is just going to go. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Amen. Thanks, Hannah. I think it's really important that we realise that we get things around the right way and how so often we're trying to gain something we've already been given and actually that God's saying we need to move out of the thing we've already received rather than trying to gain it and yeah it's amazing how it takes the strain off of life when we get things around the right way um yeah, it's interesting, it just in preparing the word for today, um, there were just many things on my heart, on my mind, and uh, uh, for those who I told what I was going to preach on, I don't want you to be disappointed, because I was, basically I was writing the introduction, the introduction got so long that that became the sermon, and so the other sermon that I was going to preach, I'm going to preach another time, hopefully, God willing. Um, yeah. Should we just pray and ask God to just speak to our hearts? Lord, I thank you for your love for us today and your word and that you want us just to know you more. And I pray that you would reveal more of yourself to us through your word, through the things I've got to say and help us to receive more from you today that we might uh, just enter into the fullness of life that you have. Amen. And, uh, there's a joke, and it, it goes, um, how do you know someone's a vegan? And it says, don't worry, they'll tell you. And it reminded me of that because recently I started a new hobby, and I've started running, and so I've already told you, it's like, how do you know Daniel's got a hobby? Well, he'll tell you about it. Um, and so I, I thought I'd take this opportunity just to tell you about my new hobby. Um, is that, is that what the platform's for? No. Um, but for the past nine weeks, I've been doing something called Park Run. And that is, it's a 5K run every Saturday morning, 9 o'clock. We get up in Avery Hill Park. And it's funny, the first time I went, I wasn't expecting, I was like, there's probably just going to be a handful of people. There were like 300 people there. And I was like, all right, okay, this is like serious. Um, I, I turned up having done one practice run. Um, and I thought, yeah, I'll do it. And I did. I managed it. My, my aim on my first week was to make it round. You know, I think that's always a good aim when you do a race, to actually make it to the finish line. Um, and since then, I've been going on. But, um, so I've been having this, this hobby over the past nine weeks. And I've been going with uh, Dave Robinson. He's been my, my running mate. And there's a few others, particularly John Murphy. He sometimes goes as well. Um, and so through this... 
process, I've been learning a bit about running. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means, but I've been learning about running, what it means to be in a race. And towards the end of last week, John was preaching from uh, Hebrews, and we began to touch on a passage in Hebrews, and it's Hebrews chapter 12, and it talks about a race. And so if you've got your Bibles, do open them up uh, and follow me along, because we're going to be looking at uh, this idea of running and a race, and so I'm going to be a bit back and forth in that analogy. And, and the writer of Hebrews, and I love how John actually called him, uh, presuming it's a him, might not be, um, could be her, um, but he called him the preacher, so I'm going to call him the preacher as well, I like that, the preacher uh, in Hebrews. And, and he gives this, this line, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance, endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, and so it's actually beginning to think about your life as a race. I was just really conscious as Hannah was speaking. She's talking about kind of just sit at Jesus' feet. And I was thinking, I'm going to talk about running. And, but, you know, uh, we run out. This is what I was saying about having things around the right way, that actually when we run the Christian life, we run from a place of God's love and his grace and his rest, but we still need to run. Um, And so Hebrews 12 sets the scene because it talks about, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, let us run this race. And if you've ever been part of a race or if you've ever done running, now I've, I've done some training runs and, and I go out and I do a run. And it's really interesting actually that when I actually get to this, do this park run, I always run quicker than when I run on my own. I always run quicker than when I run on my own. And that is because I am surrounded by others who are also running the race. And they push me. They push me on. Normally because I'm running along and there's somebody who appears quite a bit older than me or quite a bit younger than me. And I'm like, I'm not letting you overtake me. Um, Although, yeah. And so there's something that drives you or there's somebody you think... Yeah, they're running at a good pace. I want to keep up with them. And so in faith, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that there are all these people that have gone before us who have shown us how to run by their lives. There are people around you right now who are running this race who are showing you how to run. And hopefully these people will spur us on to more. But the thing is, the one who spurs us more than any others is the Lord Jesus. Because it says in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so when we think about our Christian life, Jesus must be our focus point. He must be our example that as we think about how do I do this, you need to look at Jesus. Now, interestingly, I've been reading through the Gospel of John and kind of taking my time and just pondering through it. And when you look at how Jesus lived, you think, wow, he, there was such, he had such wisdom, such love, and he did things that you think, man, I need, to, I need to grow, and I need to become more like him. Because actually, when you really nail it down, you think, Jesus lives in a way that I struggle to live. 
He loves in a way that I struggle to love. He has wisdom that I just don't possess. But that doesn't mean I can't. But I need to learn to be more like him and learn to run the race in the same way uh, he ran it. Because what we actually realise is how we run is really important. I want to skip forward a bit and into verse 13 of chapter 12. I'm going to go back and forth a bit. And he says, and he's talking about this race, and he says, make straight paths for your feet. Now that seems really obvious, because if you're going to run a race, you want a straight path. Now, if, if you're going for a jog, you might wander around a bit, and, but if you actually want to race, you're thinking, where's, where's the racing line? Now, even as I'm going around these paths of Avery Hill Park, I'm taking the racing line because that's the shortest route. And I, if I can save anything, I will. And so you want to run this race. I remember doing circuit training. Did anyone do, has anyone done circuit training? It's hard work, isn't it? I remember doing this when I was in school. I was part of the rugby team, and we would do circuit training in the gym. And so the idea is there'd be one thing you've got to climb over, another thing you've got to go under, you've got to pull yourself up, jump over the horse... And one of the bits, they did one of these really big crash mats. I don't know if you said they're about probably that, that high. And you had to run over the crash mat. And it's like running in quicksand. Like you jump in and your legs are like, like that. And, and if you want to run a race, that's not the kind of race you're looking for. You're thinking, how can I avoid that kind of obstacle? And he says, we want to look for a straight path. And so in your Christian life, what you've got to think about is, I need to find a straight path. Because there are many things that are going to try and trip you up and stop you from running. And so we've got to have a mindset that is saying, I want a straight path. Because then he says, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Again, I don't know if you're a bit like me, that again, as you get a bit older, um, you get bits that aren't, don't work as well particularly bits that where you've had an injury and you're, you're very kind of sensitive about that. And so, because those things are a bit more susceptible to injury again, and so you're a bit more cautious, a bit more careful. And, and it's realising in our life, we've got lame bits. Yeah, you've got lame bits. You've got bits that are a bit weak, a bit susceptible uh, to injury that are, you need to take care of. And again, it's interesting, if you've ever been to Avery Hill Park, there's this bit that as you go along the path, you run this, well, you don't think of it much of as, a, as a hill, but there's a, a slope up from the path to the Winter Gardens. Now, when you're running, you suddenly realise, this is a really long slope, particularly when the wind's against you, and you're like, I can't make it. But on this path as well, when you run, you realise the path is sloped. And so if you run, just, just for your info, if you run on the left-hand side, it slopes. And I find if I run on the left-hand side, I'm veering off onto the grass, which isn't good for me. Now, someone else told me they prefer that bit because it balances them. And I thought, clearly, you've got one leg longer than the other. Um, but for me, I like to run dead in the middle. I like to run dead in the middle because that's the flat bit. And I'm like, I've got to choose my path. And if I don't choose the right bit, and if I run wrongly, there's a danger that I could put something out of joint. There's a danger I could pull a muscle or I could, you know, do something, particularly with my back or something like that. 
And so how we're running is realizing the choices you make when you run will determine, is part of you going to get put out of joint? Or if you run wisely, it will lead to your healing. So the choices you make in life, the decisions you make, they can either harm you or heal you. Because there is a path that God wants you to run, and if you don't run the path that he's asking you to run, it's going to end in your destruction. It's going to end in being crippled in that race. Now, thankfully, every race I've run, I've done nine now, every time I've finished and I've run them all, I think I stopped to walk once. Um, it's been hot, by the way, hasn't it? Starting to run in this heat is not the best thing to do, but there you go. Um, but thankfully, I've not got to the point, and I've often thought, is there a point where I'm just going to have to stop? Is there a point where I can't do this anymore? And if, we, if I got an injury, maybe I wouldn't be able to finish the race. Now, to be honest, it's a 5K in A.V. Hill Park. It's not the end of the world. Um, but the principle is there. We enter something to finish it. And we, when we come into this Christian life, there is a prize and a reward for us. And so how we run is really important. Now, with my running, I've thought about how can I improve? Because I'd, if you've been around the block in Christian circles, you've heard sermons on Hebrews 12 probably a, a few times. You know, run the race with endurance. Has anyone heard, heard this sermon? Okay. If you're an athlete, which looking at you, I know you all are, um, <laughs> If you're an athlete, it's funny, I was telling Joshua about preaching sermons, he said, can you make them funny? And I said, well, I try. <laughs> but if you're an athlete, there's something you aim for that's called marginal gains. And, no? Oh, Hannah. Hannah gets really disappointed with some things we say. No, we'll talk about it later, don't worry. Um, and when I first did my run... I got a time, and every week I improved my time because I got fitter, I got better, I knew the course better. I downloaded apps who could, I got one called Map My Run, so it gives me splits for each case, so I know how well I'm doing. It tells me about my splits, my elevations, and all that kind of stuff. I put music on because one week I was running, and I was getting to this really hard bit, and I was like, oh, this is getting hard. And this song came on, and I was like, it really pumped me up, and I was like, go for it, which was a mistake. Um, <laughs> like, I can sprint finish this. At the end of it, I was like, I can't breathe. Um, but I've gone on websites. I've looked at what can you eat to improve? Because, like, again, if you eat the wrong thing, and I seem to really eat rubbish on a Friday night, I don't know why, and then it, it impacts my running. And what can you eat beforehand? How... Your sleep impacts all these things because what I'm trying to do is improve my time. And you might have heard this sermon a million times. In a sense, run the race, run the race. But the truth is there is a place in God that God is calling you into something more. God is calling you into something deeper. And you might have run that race and gone, yeah, I made it around, excellent. But God is saying, do you know there's more? 
There's more that you can do. And God is looking at ways that we can refine our, our run, in a sense, so that we can know him in more wonderful ways. Because I tell you this, the first time I ran, I made it round and I ate. My calves hurt and all different things hurt. Because of persistence, wisdom and practice, I'm now at the place where I can do a 5K and not hurt. I, I, I talked to Hannah and I talked to Joe and I was like, how can I stretch my calves? Because they are killing me when I'm running, you know? And they gave me a bit of advice and I was like, okay. And now I run and it doesn't, doesn't ache. You know, it, it gets to that point where it actually doesn't hurt so much. And so you're looking to improve and, and I just want to encourage you that you might have got to a point where you think, I, I, I'm okay, I'm doing all right. But I want to encourage you that there's so much more of God for you. That God wants to take you deeper still into more of him. And so you might be, yeah, I'm running, I make it and I can do it. Because the other thing I realised with my running, after a while, the novelty wears off a bit. And I'll be very honest, this week, I didn't do too well. Um, I didn't go out on any training runs. Um, I didn't eat very well on the Friday night. It was quite warm. My running partner, Dave, is on holiday. Thanks, Dave. Um, and, and, and you look at all these things and you think, and I, I rocked up and I wasn't feeling too really up for it. And as I ran round, I was feeling a bit sick. Um, it was hot. And, and I, didn't run to, uh, I didn't run as well as I hoped. And it's the first week I've not really improved my running. Um, and sometimes we can be like that in our Christian life. We get to that point where, you know, things aren't going too well. Um, maybe I, I, I just feel a bit low. I feel a bit down. I'm not really up for it today. But again, there's this, God is calling us to something deeper. And, and my problem is often I, I start really well. I, I used to be a sprinter, so maybe that's my problem. I sprint and then after that, I really struggle, and normally when I run, by the second lap, I get John Murphy run past me going, hello, Daniel, and just continuing on. I'm like, thanks, John. But what I realised, there's, I, I normally come around in this race of about 300 people, about 75th, that's kind of where I've hit a mark. And the thing I notice about the people who finished before me. Not just they're quicker, that's obvious. But there's a reason. And, and I wonder for the, the preacher in Hebrews whether he realised this as well, because in verse 1 he says this, let us also lay aside every weight. And now Peter reminded me, I was talking to him about running, he said, well, you are carrying a bit more than some other people. You know, when you're carrying a bit of timber on you... It is harder to run. You know, if I want to achieve more, be faster, run better, to be very honest with you, I need to lose a bit of weight to run the race. And the truth is, in our Christian life, if we're trying to run the race, but we're carrying on us extra weight, weight if we're carrying with us 
things that God has not given us to carry, then we're going to struggle. And you might look at people who are running better than you. And I would challenge you, maybe it's because they've shed some of the weight that you're still carrying. It's a challenge. He goes on and he says, it's not only weighty, but he says, and sin which clings so closely. There are things that will try and trip you up and entangle you. Now, again, I was running on Sunday, and again, this didn't help, that I've got, I'm all, I'm all tech, you know, when I run. It's all about the tech. I've got my Fitbit, so I can time myself. It gives me my heart rate and all that. Um, and then I have my uh, phone in my, I have a little thing on my arm, and that tells me my splits and my music and everything. But the trouble is, I've if my Bluetooth is on, it messes up my watch. <laughs> so I started off and I'd run about two, three hundred metres and I realised my Bluetooth was on. I know, really technical stuff this. And so I had to try and turn it off. And if, if you've got something here and you're trying to run, so I basically had to unwrap my thing, take it off, which meant that my earphones unplugged, which stopped the music. And so then I turned the Bluetooth off, get the, thing, get the plug back in, and get it back on my arm, re, re, go back into my music to press play, and then reset my watch because my watch was all messed up. You know, there are things, and all while running along, and I was like, I'm glad I was running on a clear bit because <laughs> otherwise I really could have stacked it. There are so many things that will seek to entangle us. We overcomplicate life. We add things to it that we don't need to add. And... And there are things that will trip you up along your way that God has never intended you to have. And again, so we can carry stuff we're not meant to carry or we could be looking, and invest, looking at stuff we should not be looking at and these things will hinder us in our run. There are things in our lives that are, con are not conducive to running well. Again, I just remember once we used to have a football team in the church and we went um, and we were playing a match against, in the evening against Premier Radio. don't know why I remember that. Um, and it was after work and so we'd finished work and up in London because that's where we were playing. We had a bit of time to kill. And so we went to the pub and I had a pint. And then we went and played football match. And I was running around and I couldn't run. I was... Just like, if you don't know, alcohol dehydrates you. In a warm, probably June evening or wherever it was, I was trying to play dehydrated. There are things that God calls us to do, and if we do other things, they're not conducive to the run that God has for us. don't know why I remembered that. So we have to be wary about things that weigh us down and entangle us, because our aim should be to run well. When we think about running a race, we think about being physically fit. But when we think about the Christian life, we have to be spiritually fit. We have to be emotionally fit. And we can't ignore things. And often we do think, I can just ignore that, I'll be all right. I can do that and I'll be all right. And maybe you're a bit like me when I ran yesterday. I got round, I made it, just about. And you could look and go, you're all right. 
that I didn't feel good. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't run a good time. And I wanted to quit. And that's because there were things, many different things that contributed to me not being able to run well. And so we have to realize that there are things in our lives that are going to cause us to struggle. In verse 3 of Hebrews 12, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In any competition, there are things that are going to come against you. And Jesus had so many things that came against him. If you look at the treatment he received from the Pharisees, here he is trying to do good. Let me go and heal someone. Let me come and bring someone alive. I was reading this morning about the man who had um, been born blind. He was a grown man, been born blind all his life. And Jesus comes and heals him, gives him sight, and all they want to do is moan about it. And maybe you feel that sometimes you're just trying to do the best thing you can do and people just moan about it. In this life, you will have trouble. Jesus said that. He's promised you, you will have trouble. He also said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But the reality is, in your Christian run, in your Christian life, you're going to get hostility. You're going to get problems come against you. That is just part of life. Jesus had it. They wanted to kill him so often. But he was continued to follow his father and such an encouragement to me for us to realise that even in the, the face of hostility, if we, if we keep our eyes on God, if we keep our, our focus on him, as I said, he has overcome the world. They wanted to kill Jesus and he just walked through the crowd. They couldn't touch him. And if you might be in a hostile environment, you might be in difficulty, but if you're keeping your focus on Christ, he is sovereign. It might be difficult. There might be struggles. But he is sovereign. And we need to be encouraged to continue to put our trust in him even in these times of difficulty. There was something on my heart I just wanted to kind of touch on as well, but as we face trouble, we will face trouble amongst ourselves. There were things that would come in. And can we be reminded this morning of the work of the enemy? It says that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is his purpose. Jesus said, I have come to give life, but the work of the enemy is to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to, to steal those things that God wants for us. And he does this by bringing division. Because Jesus again said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And so when we're thinking about the life that God is calling us to, we follow him, we choose the path, there are things that the enemy is going to try and do that are going to come in and seek to destroy those things. He's going to seek to come in and bring division, distraction, 
um, loss of peace, and things like this. And there are many different tactics he'll use to do that. And I just wanted to just mention this because if we allow the enemy to come in and disrupt the race, if we take our eyes off God, if we're not clearing the path, then we're going to get crippled in this race. But if we keep our eyes on him, then we'll be able to run free. The writer goes on here, the preacher goes on, and he talks about discipline. Does anyone here love discipline? You know? I think he really nails it on the head in verse 11. He says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Now, again, if you're into exercise or anything like that, or maybe the reason you're not into exercise is because the idea of getting up early in the morning and going for a run when your bed seems to be calling you is just like, that seems horrendous. When you're running, like, people say, have you ever heard people say, well, you know when you're, you're doing exercise and you get to that moment when just all your is it endorphins and all this stuff is just like, and you feel great? I'm like, no, I've never reached that point. <laughs> it's painful. There was no point in my run yesterday when I was thinking, this feels great. I was like, this is horrible. Why am I doing this? Maybe you're thinking the same thing. But there is a point afterwards when you think, I've, I've accomplished, I've achieved something. Hannah, when she ticks off her to-do list, gets the endorphin run. I've achieved something. It's brilliant. And the difficulty does fade. And the truth is that in our, our, in our run, in the Christian life, there are things that God is doing to help us run better. There are things that he's saying, you need to eat this. Again, if, if you ever tried to do something healthy and you've been out at a restaurant and everyone else is ordering burger and chips and you say, I have the salad, please, and you sit there with your salad going, your burger and chips looks a lot nicer than my salad does. And it's painful. Because in the moment, you think, I just want to eat what I want to eat. I want to do what I want to do. But God is saying, will you deny yourself something? Will you go through the process that I'm taking you through in the belief, in the faith, that there is a greater thing to come. Because I'm saying that God is taking us deeper and he's taking us into more things, more things, more things. But it's not easy. And sometimes we'll say, yeah, God, I want more of you. And he's like, really? Because there's a road that you've got to walk and it's not going to be easy. And often we don't go into more of God because we're not willing to go through the process and the thing is, he says, this is the discipline of God, which is like the discipline of a father. Because he does this because he loves you and he wants you to go into something more of him. But we can resist, we can say no, and we stay exactly where we are. But where he's saying, you need to cut this out of your diet. You need to stop doing this and start doing this. You need to change your habits. And the reasons we have habits is because we like them, generally. 
you know, if you like sitting there with a tub of ice cream and just, and, but maybe if you wanted to be a pro athlete, you can't do that anymore. Put that into a spiritual context. If you want to be, go on in your walk with God, maybe you can't do that thing anymore that everyone else is doing. Maybe you can't do that anymore. And it's a challenge because we, we like these things. We like our comfort. But are you willing to be pressed by God into something more to move outside of your comfort, to, like, to do those things that are going to stretch you and strain you that are going to be painful? And I don't know what it is for you that might seem painful at the moment. Also be wary not to, not to attribute to the enemy the thing that God is doing. Because sometimes God is doing something and God says no to something and you're like, the enemy is against me. But you know where Paul wanted to go and preach the gospel in a certain place and the Holy Spirit stopped him. It wasn't God who stopped him. Sorry, it wasn't the enemy who stopped him. It was the Holy Spirit who stopped him. Because you know what? God knows stuff you don't know. God knows what is awaiting for you here but that also that there's a better thing for you here. And so maybe there's a relationship, and you're like, why is God not letting me have this relationship? It's because he's got something better for you, which might not be a relationship. Or maybe it's a house that fell through, and you don't realise the money pit that you just dodged. Or the job that you went for that you didn't get. And God's closing doors because he's saying, no, I don't want that for you. And sometimes with hindsight, we can look back and go, wow, I'm so glad I dodged that bullet. Be aware that God is disciplining you and bringing you into something deeper of himself. And the question is, will you yield to that? It's like having a, a, a coach. Like, I I've, I've occasionally go to the gym, and if you ever see like the personal trainers who are like, okay, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. I'm like, Forget that. I don't want a personal trainer who's going to push me to do things I don't want to do. But, that's, but if I don't, I'm never going to get to the, that place that maybe I need to get to. As he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. In verse 11, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't know about you, but do you want the peaceful fruit of righteousness? I, I don't quite understand exactly what that means, but it sounds to me really good. There's peace, there's fruit, and there's righteousness. Uh, and these are good things. I'm like, if I can get the peaceful fruit of righteousness, I've got to push through. I've got to listen to my coach who's telling me to press on in different things, to get up early, maybe when I want to stay in bed, to sacrifice certain things because actually they don't help me go faster. But the real question for this is what do you want the outcome of your life to be? Because you know what, if I'm running around and I've got no interest in doing a good time, then why not walk? Why not have a few beers the night before I go for a run or eat, eat a kebab? You know, 
Because if I don't care about the race, if it's just like, well, I just turn up and I just, you know, I'll do what I do. If I don't care about it, then it doesn't really matter what I do. But if I actually care about the race, if I care about the purposes of God and seeing his kingdom established in me and through me, then I have to submit myself to him and to the things that he's saying. And there are things in the Bible that you will read that you do not want to do. He says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Does anyone fancy that? You know, have both sides? I don't want to do that. He says, if someone takes your coat, give him your tunic also. You know, don't, don't just steal from me. Let me give you some extra stuff. Do you want to do that? These are not natural things that we want to do. How about love your enemies? Love those who persecute you. You know, the word of God will cut against the grain of life and cause us to, to do things that we don't want to do or ask of us things that we don't want to do. And I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to say, God, if this is your word, if this is the thing that you're asking of me, I will do it. Not because I want to, but because I believe that your word brings life. I know a couple of weeks ago I talked about tithing. It makes no sense. If you're saying to me, Daniel, I'm short of money, well, give some more. It makes no sense. But if God says this is a pathway to life, what are we going to trust? I want to encourage you because it's always been my heart that as Christians we enter fully into the life of God because Christ has done so much for us. He has said we, got, we have been given every spiritual blessing. You know, we have such riches in Christ that often we don't enter into because we're unwilling to lay other things down. We're unwilling to lay the weights down, the sins down. And so we never enter into the fullness of Christ. And it breaks my heart when I see Christians who I know God has so much more for. And not only does it break mine, I'm sure it breaks God's, and it, it robs him of glory. But God has a wonderful plan and a purpose for each of us. And I want to just give us an opportunity now to say, God, is there anything I need to lay down? Is there anything I've been carrying around with me that is just contrary to what you want for me? Because in the end, if you're carrying something heavy, you know what you have to do with it? You've got to drop it. You've got to go, I'll drop it. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't try and work it through. Just say, God, you know what? There was this thing. I'm done with that now. I've had enough of it. I drop it, have it. God takes care of that. And it's wonderful that we can walk away from the things that have been hindering, hindering us for so many years. I want us to stand and I'm going to pray and just ask God to come and reveal things to our hearts that maybe, again, that God is just, you just need to drop it.
Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's an offence. Maybe it's a, just something you can't seem to leave behind. But I tell you this morning that if you fix your eyes on him, he will give you life. Lord, and we come this morning to you, Lord God, and say, will you speak to our hearts and if there is anything that we're carrying, Lord God, that you don't want us to carry. Lord God, because I believe this morning there's always a refining process that God needs to do in every one of our lives. I know there is in mine. Lord, and will you reveal to me, Lord God, those things that you no longer want me to carry, those attitudes that I've been carrying, that hurt that I've been carrying. Lord, I drop it now. If God is revealing something to you, I just encourage you to say, I'll drop it now. Lord, may we not carry the things that you died to take. May we not entangle ourselves with things that are not your purpose for us. But let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, knowing that there is a prize, knowing that you have life for us, Lord, may we set our hearts this morning just to run after you. To do the things that you're telling us to do. And in the struggles and in the difficulty that we continue, continually look to you, Lord God, for the answers and for deliverance in those difficult situations.